Hey everybody, welcome to the Carolina Family live stream. Obviously, I am not John Allen. Again, I'm not. However, this time it's a little different. He's sitting right in front of me, which he was not doing last time. If you remember, he was having to do some other things. So he has a hot mic, and um, I didn't know that was going to happen. So I'm actually a little nervous about that. He's going to be correcting me while I'm preaching. But guess what? I'm the I'll just talk into the mic and be like, no, yep. not that. I'm having some oh, I'm sorry. Siri, uh, Siri thinks we're again. doing something. I'm not sure what Siri's doing. My iPad's right here. Technology, right? Had a little bit of those glitches this morning, but we figured it out. That's just part of this live stream deal. Um, but we're doing it. And I have to say, since I'm right here, one week, yeah. one week, I get to see all those faces. And I don't have to look at my own face in this TV screen, which is what I'm looking right now. I'm actually preaching to myself. Um, but I know you guys are out there. I'm so excited. I am so excited to see you. And uh, during this process of trying to move forward, we've been looking back to see what we can take with us. And I have to say, I took Irwin for granted. I really did. We were so lucky to have the space, the just the grace to be there in the first place in a school system. Um, it gave us the ability to grow immediately. And uh, God had that door open for us. And I don't know what doors are going to be open from now on, but we have the door open to the Norville right now. And I know that no matter what, wherever we're at, because we wear those shirts that say, you know, the church is not the building, it's the people. It will be Carolina Family Church, no matter where it's at. But right now the door is open to the Norville. And uh, we're super excited to see you guys next week. I'm just, I'm going to hug everybody. I'm not going to hug everybody. Sorry. Six foot mask. I get it. You know, I'm going to refrain from any of that, but I will see you and, and you, I'll be smiling and it's all going to be good. But until then, we have something else to do because today is the last day of this series. Yay. All right. We are, yeah, we are, uh, it was actually an eight week series. We're in the last letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a brief recap. If you haven't heard any of these, please go back and listen to them because they are very relevant to the American church today and the church of uh, really the world, right? These, these letters are all very relevant. And the first one, remember these letters are being written on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus was telling John what to write down. And then he sent them out on the mail route. I don't have the map. I didn't know. I wasn't as smart as John is to throw that up there. I forgot about it. But the first church is Ephesus. And you can remember that was the church of cold doctrine. They had really letting their hearts grow cold. And they didn't, we're not sharing the love of Jesus, right? And then we went up to Smyrna, who really he was, they were the church that had the greatest amount of faith, but they were getting ready to get persecuted, right? They were going to get thrown in jail, possibly put to death. And Jesus was saying, hold on, I've got something for you. Um, and then we went up to Pergamos, which had kind of started to bend their doctrine, right? They had let the culture kind of come in and mix with, not have it hold true to what they believed. They tried to mingle with the culture. And Jesus was telling them, you need to stop that. All right. And then we went up to Thyatira, which was the one I got to preach uh, three weeks ago or so. And they had taken it a step further. They were actually preaching immorality from inside the church. Then we went to Sardis. Remember those guys actually owned the bank. They made the money. And that church was just dead. Right. And then we went to Philly. And then went to the Church of Philadelphia. And if you saw it last week, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, if you didn't check it out, you'll, you'll, you'll get an inside joke, right? We went to Philly and then went to Philadelphia. 
And Philadelphia really had it all going on, man. They had it going for them. Jesus was saying, hey, I've got these doors open for you. I hold the keys to the doors. Don't worry about it. Here's hope. I have a door open ready for you, all right? And that brings us to today, to the finale, the church in Laodicea. Now, I had a, I have an opportunity here to honor one of the greatest R&B uh, bands of the 90s. Now, I, I would blare these songs cruising in Concord right in front of the hospital in the mall back in the mid-90s when I was 16, windows rolled down, you know, just blaring these songs because this is literally the end of the road, right? And I was going to come on here and really just belt out some boys to men for you guys. Um, but what I realized is that I am an embarrassment to my wife if not enough just by existing, okay? Just by being here, I'm an embarrassment to my wife. And I wasn't going to let that live on the live stream live into the universe forever, okay? I'm not going to be a YouTube sensation. White guy singing boys to men. Just not going to do it, all right? So if you know the song and you're around anybody that you can't embarrass, sing to the top of your lungs into the road, all right? Because we are there at the end of the road. Okay, so before we get into really the letter itself, I want to set you up for a little bit about the context of this letter. Not so much Laodicea itself, but what sets this letter apart from the other letters. Because the other letters, Jesus really had a pattern, right? He would describe himself. He would say something normally good about the church. Then he would kind of bring them down in correction, tell them what they were doing wrong. And then he would give them a way to fix that right? He would build them back up. And at the end, he made a promise to them. That was kind of this pattern that he used in most of these. He doesn't do that in this one. He breaks the mold, which for me means that we need to really look at why he did that. Why is this church, why is this letter different? And if all these churches are so much like us, it's very important that we see why he set this church apart and make sure we understand that. Because unlike the other letters, he has nothing good to say about Laodicea. Nothing. He doesn't go good, bad, good. He goes straight to bad. Whatever they are doing, they are not doing it well. It has angered him so much that even Jesus cannot say something good about them. Okay? So let's get right into it. Revelations 3 verse 14. Let's read this letter and see what's going on. Verse 14, there it is on the screen. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. But do, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, be zealous and repent. Oh, my fault. I went backwards. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. 
To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I'm sure you heard some language, some scripture in there that you've heard before, and we're going to get to that because I've got a lot to say about that. But first, I really want to set up where the Laodiceans are at in this church. What is surrounding them? What has made them the way that we are? Because we're all a product of our culture, right? We all have things that we do based upon where we live. This church is no different. See, this church is situated, this city is situated, situated in a spot that makes them a hot spot for economic growth, okay? And why, what I mean by that is everything that happens on the left side of Laodicea comes through them. They're at the crossroads of a trade route. Unless you come in from the port and go to Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamos from that side, you come through Laodicea. And what that has caused is for them to be a banking center. It is the natural spot to have a banking community. And with a banking community, you get all the other things that come with it, right? They had huge government buildings. They had a state-of-the-art for that time medical center. Huge homes with a sophisticated indoor plumbing system, right? Which was unheard of for that time. They had all these things. They had shops. They had markets. Actually, I've got some photos I want to show. Throw, let's throw these up real quick because this stuff is really cool. Um, this first one that you're going to see, that is actually just a street through the city of Laodicea. It is, talk about uh, like cobblestone. That's like marble. That is a marble floor. Go to the next one. This stuff is really amazing. This is the theater, okay? This theater sits 20,000 people. It has a spot just for the orchestra. Turkey is actually redoing this theater right now to do live stuff there. It is really amazing that this theater could be in this spot. This just shows you the grandeur of what they had, the money that they had. Go to the next one, this last picture. Look at that. If you woke up every day and went to work and saw that, that is amazing, okay? This is the kind of stuff that Laodicean had. By the way, uh, during this group of messages, the, these letters, these sermons, I have discovered a new bucket list item, right? I would love to go to the Isle of Patmos, start there, and go through all of these ruins. That would be like, I've traveled a lot, and I was kind of sick, sick of traveling, but this seems like so much fun. So if anybody wants to do that with me and fund it, please, <laughs> let's go, right? I am ready to go. Let's, you just pay for it, and we'll get on the way, all right? It sounds like fun. But this is what made Laodicea who it is. This is who Laodicea is. These great buildings, these huge things. The city block, this, the church took up an entire city block. This was a big church. They had so much money that when the earthquake came that destroyed Sardis and destroyed Philadelphia, Rome fixed Sardis. Came to Philadelphia, didn't do anything for them because apparently they weren't important enough. But they came to Laodicea and said, let us rebuild. And Laodicea said, no, thank you. We have enough money. We don't need your help. We don't need you stepping in. That's the kind of place Laodicea was. That's the kind of wealth they had. And the people that went to this church would have been the people who were bankers, right? They were doctors. They were working in the government. These guys had the pockets. If you were at that church, you had some money. And because of that, they had a wealth of things, which makes me think they would have been the church that had the capability of having the most influence, right? Like if they, they could have been just reaching everybody. 
And all the people were coming through there and going back through there on their way to other places. They had the opportunity to reach so many people. But Jesus has nothing good to say about them. It's easy to happen. It can happen to anybody in America. This is this church, just like the other ones, is very much like us. Maybe not specifically this church, but the American church. We have a lot of stuff. We have money to buy what we need. This church is the same way, but yes, Jesus has nothing good to say about them. So let's really get into that and figure out why that is, okay? And by that, we're going to go verse to verse. First verse is verse 14. Listen to this. He, he sets them up the same exact way that he does the other ones. He describes himself in a way that they would know that's hitting them right to the heart of what they got going on, all right? And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. All right, let's break it down. The first thing, he calls himself the amen. Now, we use that term a lot uh, at the end of a sentence or at the end of something to tell somebody else that we agree or we like what's going on. Lots of pastors love to hear people screaming amen when they get done talking because it means that somebody's awake and they, they hear what he's saying. And a lot of pastors don't hear it. They'll call for it, right? Can I get an amen? I've been in those churches, yeah. That's what we use that word for. Jesus never used it at the end of a sentence. He always used it at the beginning. Because amen in Hebrew means truth, right? There's a verse in Isaiah that calls God the God of amen. That means the God of truth. It says all blessings came through the God of truth. Jesus right here is telling them I'm the truth. And in that city, in a, a government setting, amen means let it be so. Kind of like um, when I was young, all we could watch on Sunday nights was the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. I may be aging myself right there, but that's okay. I'm old. So there's a scene in there where the Pharaoh is in his, in his temple, and they're coming before him telling something, and he says, like he likes it, he says, let it be written, let it be done. Meaning, let whatever you just said be so. I have enough power that I can put that into place. Jesus is reminding them that he is the truth, and what he's getting ready to say, let it be so. And even so, he takes it even further. He calls himself the faithful and the true witness, okay? He's telling them he is the judge, the jury, and the witness. He's all they need because he sees and knows everything. He is putting his power in front of them and saying, remember what I'm getting ready to say, you need to take listen to it because I know everything. Don't question it. And then he goes even further. Now, this really hits them where it hurts them because it hits them in their pockets, right? This is a wealthy church who has some issues. He says, the beginning of the creation of God. A lot of people kind of misinterpret this part right here. They think it means that God created Jesus somehow at the beginning. It doesn't mean that at all, right? It means that everything is made through Jesus. Jesus was there at creation. He made everything. So he's telling them, I am the truth. So what I'm going to say is true. I am the only witness that you need. I am the only jury. And I gave you everything that you have. Everything that you have came through me. You have nothing without me. I gave you the ability to work. I gave you the ability to do everything. So when you think about what you have, do not forget that I gave it to you. It's me that gave it to you. Okay? So let's look at verse... Oh, one other thing that's kind of neat is that when John is writing this, uh, and he, he would understand what Jesus is saying because in his gospel in John 1, 3 to 4, he's already said to him, 
He describes Jesus as the one who made everything. So Jesus is telling him things that he's already written about. And I just a, this is probably something I'm only going to laugh about, but uh, John really, his churches didn't do so well, okay? He struggled with his churches. Paul had, had it going on. Paul and Peter had pretty, they would be like the, I'm not going to name any names, but big churches, right, with screens everywhere and stuff like that, all right? So for him to be writing letters to correct churches that came from Paul's ministry probably is, is funny to him. He's probably having a little laugh about it. Anyway, that's a, that's a sidebar for me. It's just funny. All right. So let's go to the next verse. After he describes himself, in verse 15, he says, I know you are, your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So this is the verse I was saying you guys have probably heard before. And have probably heard it taught wrong, okay? I was sitting at a, uh, just coincidentally, I was sitting at a table on a break from work thinking about the message I was going to deliver to Thyatira when a guy sat down beside of me and just opened up a normal conversation, asked me what I was doing. And I was truthful. I said, I'm preaching this weekend and I'm thinking about what I'm doing. And he just opened up. And he said he had a teenage daughter who had just been saved and came to him and said, hey, I'm a new Christian and these teachers are telling me this scripture right here. They're saying I need to remain hot because if I get cold, that means Jesus is going to spit me out of my, his mouth and somehow I wouldn't be saved. And I went, oh, sweet Jesus. Give me the phone. First, I'm going to call the, your kid and tell her what's going on. Then I'm going to call the person who taught her that and teach them the truth. Okay? That is not what this means. If you think Jesus would you, rather you be saved and be hot or be unsaved and be cold, you are mistaken about who Jesus is. Jesus is not saying that at all. Listen, there's a difference between reading Scripture and studying Scripture. Okay? You could read this all day long and think something like that and not be true. You can do that with the entire Bible. If you don't know context, you have to study where it came from, why it was written, who it was written to, to get the context out of this. Jesus is not saying that. And to understand what he's saying, you have to know what the church at Laodicea was going through, what the city was about, because they had all kind of stuff going for them. But they were missing one thing. They did not have a clean water supply. Okay? The, they had a river running by the town. They were actually called the Laodicea of the Lycus because the Lycus River ran by them, but it had really heavy mineral deposits. It was heavy with lime, and it would leave white lime deposits everywhere it ran ashore. So they couldn't drink it. It was great for the indoor plumbing. It was great for baths. It was great for all that kind of stuff, but you could not drink it. It would literally make you vomit, okay? It was disgusting. And to the north of them was a place that was kind of like Grove Park Inn, right? I've never been there, but I've heard it's awesome. Uh, they have hot springs. And this place had natural hot springs. It was refreshing. It was healing. And then you go to the south, there's a place that had cold springs, fresh, cold water. And it was refreshing. But Laodicea had neither. And if they tried to get water from either one of those places, by the time it got to them, it would be lukewarm. It would be disgusting. So they had water coming from the closest cold springs. They built aqueducts that would deliver that water to the city. But by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. They didn't have fridges and ice and all this stuff. 
right? I don't know if any of you guys drink coffee. I do. I love coffee. And from February up until about November, I drink iced coffee. I love cold iced coffee. Black, cream, sugar, I don't care. I, I really don't care for the pumpkin stuff, but uh, I like iced coffee. It's refreshing. And by the time it gets cool to us, December, January, February, I'll switch over to hot coffee because there's nothing like it being really cold and damp and having a nice cup of hot coffee. It's refreshing. I mean, there's companies out there who have made millions and billions of dollars keeping your stuff cold and hot. Yeti. I can't, I can't even buy a Yeti cooler. Those things are outrageous, right? I mean, I have a, actually have, happen to have something right here with some nice, refreshing, cold iced coffee in it, but it's, it's a big Brock's, you know, it's a big Brock's, uh, it's Arctic Zone. I don't know what it is. It's not a Yeti, okay? And it probably holds ice, you know, cooler for about an hour or less, but that's what I've got. But Yeti has spent a lot of money making sure that things are refreshing for you. This church didn't have any of that. Their water was so gross, it would make you vomit. Jesus is hitting them right where they are. He says, look, you're so not hot or cold that I want to vomit you out of your, your, my mouth. You're like the lukewarm water. That's all he's saying there. He's saying they're like vomitous water, which is pretty nasty, pretty descriptive. And at this point, I have to imagine that the church in Laodicea probably had no idea what he was talking about. I bet they were so involved in themselves that they didn't have a clue what he meant. I bet they thought they were supposed to get the letter to Philadelphia, right? I bet they were like, ah, this is a joke. You're just fooling around with us. There's no way we're like that. We've got it all going on. It's the church in Philadelphia, right? They were supposed to get this. We were supposed to be the church that had everything right. No, Jesus says no. Look what he says next. Look in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That's the key right there. Have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I bet now they're really confused. Because most of them are like, have you seen my walk-in closet? I'm definitely not naked. Like, they're not getting it. We're not rich. What are you talking about? We're poor? Poor and blind? We've got the medical center, right? We've got it all going on. Nope. They are poor, blind, and naked. See, the Laodiceans had started relying on something else besides God. They had been given so much that they started relying on that instead of God himself. I have had, like I said before, I've had the privilege of traveling all around the world uh, with a nonprofit, a couple of them, and really have gone to some places that you can't get a car to, right? You have to backpack in, and maybe they could count on one hand how many white guys they've seen, how many people not in their village that they've seen. And when you take Jesus into one of these places and you give somebody who needs everything something to hold on to, they have hope. They, they get a hope for a future, for an existence past this. You take somebody who has nothing and give them Jesus. All of a sudden, they have every, they're exploding with joy because they have everything. This church has everything, but yet has nothing. There are people all around the world who have nothing, and Jesus to them is everything. But this church has nothing. 
Now, I'm, I'm going to preface this next part with that this is a Jeremy-ism, okay? This is not in the gospel. This is not a Bible thing. I'm going to tell you how I feel, and I'm going to be honest about that, okay? You can take it for what it's worth, but this is what I feel like is happening in the church in America. I feel like we have so much that we rely on that so much that God has backed up a little bit, or we've pushed him out. Maybe not individually, maybe not this our church in specific, but the church as a whole in America has pushed God out because we only rely on him when we need him. Not all the time. We don't wake up every day renewing our faith, asking Jesus to help us through the day. We only call on him when we need him. When I was in these villages, I, it, it's indescribable. I would see things that you've only heard about in fairy tales or in the Bible. I would see God move in ways that I had never seen because they knew that Jesus was the only one that could do it. They needed him. Jesus can do that today. He can do anything. He has the power. He has, he, everything is made is made through him. He can be that Jesus to everybody, but we kind of we kind of backed up off of it. Now that's just a that's a Jeremyism. I'm sure you, I would love to have that conversation when anybody wants to have it. But that's what I think is happening. Either way, this church, as we see next, has done that very thing. They've pushed God out. He is no longer working in this church. They have so much money they think they can do it without him. So what happens next is. God tells them how to fix this problem, okay? In verse 18, he says, I counsel you. And this is a very important part here. He says, I counsel you. He's still giving them a choice. But he's saying, coming from somebody who knows everything, from a lawyer's point of view, this is how I would tell you how to fix it. Whether you listen to it or not is up to you. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Again, I have to have a feeling that they really don't know what he's talking about here. Gold refined in the fire, wealth from him. And I put this all in an idea of deposits and withdrawals and interest. They've started, they've stopped depositing wealth into Jesus and started depositing into the bank. And that's the only place they make deposits. Now, I'm going to say this because I... I don't want to make anybody angry on the other side thinking I'm saying something that making money is bad. It's not. Okay? Working hard and getting paid for it is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with this church having wealth. Jesus gave this wealth to them. There's nothing wrong with that. But they stopped making deposits into Jesus and started making deposits just into worldly things. The one thing that I really loved at Irwin when we walk in the front doors and to see those banners, right? The banners that listed the attributes of what we were going to be, what we were supposed to be. Attributes straight from Jesus, straight from the Bible. Committed, generous, gracious, humble, honest, hungry. That's the kind of person you become when you put deposits into Jesus. And what I mean by that is by spending time with him, praying, reading his word, 
spending time around other people, having good conversations. If you stop making those choices to do that, you stop making deposits into who Jesus wants you to be. When you're talking to Jesus and spending time with him, he changes you into what he wants you to be, which are the attributes from those banners. That's, what, that's who we want to be as a church. This church has stopped doing that. They have pushed him out. And then he says, talking about the clothes, put on his white garments that you may be clothed. He's, he's calling them back to righteousness. And this is an interesting point right here because he again is hitting them right where they would know, hitting them right in the heart. Because one thing about Laodicea is they were known for their purple wool. And they had this unique uh, thing that happened. Because their water supply was filled with so many minerals, when the sheep drank the water, their wool changed to a dark purple, kind of a black color, which to them was the color of royalty. So their clothes would be purple and black, and everyone from the area would come to them for their clothes, because if you had the clothes from Laodicea, you were really making it happen. Kind of like, um, I get I was really struggling with this one because I don't do a whole lot of shopping. Uh, but like back in my time, I, Abercrombie and Fitch would have been something I really couldn't have afforded. It just, uh, I wasn't cool enough to go into that store. Maybe Hollister, maybe, but then I was just pretending. So I didn't get any of the clothes from any of them. But that's what I wanted. We all wanted to wear uh, Abercrombie and Fitch. I had one pair of jeans, right? There was a Levi's made, a, made a, something called big jeans. And on the inside of the seam was a red and black uh, banner, and it said big. And when you tight rolled your jeans, which I, it, I tight rolled, okay? I was one of those people. The big on the outside of the label came to the outside of the jeans so you could read it. And it was really cool, right? That, I had one pair. And my, my mom even knew I had them. I probably bought them with my own money. But either way, like we all want to, we all want to wear the coolest stuff. This was what happened in Laodicea. Laodicea had the coolest clothes. They had the clothes that meant you were somebody. If you had on the color purple, it meant you were somebody. So here, he's saying put on white garments. He's saying you're trusting too much in that worldly stuff. Come back to me. Repent of your sins and wear righteous clothes. Wear my white clothes. He is not trying to fool them in any way. He is being straightforward with them, hitting them right in their heart. And then the last thing he says is, anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. This again is coming right at them. Because what's interesting is they had a medical center with a medical school. And a guy that came out of that school invented an ISAF, which would actually had healing properties for people who had eye problems. It happened in Laodicea. I often wonder, because we have optometrists and, and you know we can go do anything we need. We can get anything fixed by the medical professional, right? Or at least get anything diagnosed. I wonder often what these people back then did. Like if they were having eye problems or if they had a cavity or something, you know, what, what, was, what was happening? Well, this guy in that time actually invented an ISAB that worked. But here Jesus is saying, stop using that ISAB. You need to use my ISAB. You need to be cleansed with what I have so that you can see what's happening. You need to see through my eyes. That's what Jesus is saying. And they, now they're starting to get it, I think, right? Because he's hitting them right where they will understand. Buy riches from me. Put deposits into me, into my life. 
Buy clothes of righteousness from me. Wear white clothes. Stop thinking about the worldly things. Put on my eye salve that you can see clearly, that you can see what I want you to do, where I want you to go. And then he does what Jesus always does. He holds out his hand. Because Jesus wouldn't be Jesus if he didn't show him some love. Because that's Jesus. And this is where it's the same as everybody else. Every other letter. At the end, he holds out his hand. And he says, I've got you. First part of verse 19 is he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He's just like a good father. He's correcting them out of love. He says, I love you so much that I'm trying to help you be better. I want you to be the best you can be, and right now you're not doing it. But as your father, and as the one who can see everything, as a true and faithful witness, I'm rebuking you. I'm loving you. Ask for forgiveness and repent. And then he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That is very important to them because to have dinner and have communion with somebody in your house to them is a big deal. It would mean you're part of their family. And right now Jesus is saying, you have taken me out of your family. I'm outside knocking and I cannot come in unless you open the door. I'm not going to force my way in. I want you to want me to come in. He's knocking, asking, let me come in and have dinner with you. And then he promises them the same thing he promises everybody else. He, he makes a promise for the rewards, all right? This goes back to that deposit and withdrawal and interest because what you do here gets your rewards later. It also helps you here. It makes you the best person you can be here. But we forget about the part that it gives us more later. Nothing about this is bad. Everything about Jesus is good. It helps us be the best person we can be here. Helps us do the most we can do for him here. And in turn, gives us the most we can get later. He is giving us interest on what we do. That is a big deal. We forget that here sometimes. We think we're just living here to live here until we get there. It's not the truth. We are living here to do things for him because he loves us. And he wants us to spread that to other people to give them that joy. And if we're not relying on him and spending time with him, we can't do that because it's not forefront in our mind. We're not thinking about that on a day-to-day -day basis. We're just thinking about ourselves and how to get through this life. Just how to get from day to day. And most of the time, we don't rely on him to do it. And at the end, he closes it. But who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, transitioning into some practical things, I struggle with this a little bit because I am proud to say that unlike the rest of these churches, we're not like this church, I do not think. Out of all these churches, I think we are the most unlike this one. All right, we have things. We have an abundance of things, but we use them the ways that Jesus would want us to use them. 
right? We are, we are focused daily on what Jesus wants us to do with what he gave us so that he can give us more to do more with. When you're responsible with the things that Jesus gives you, he gives you more because you're doing what he wants you to do with it. So I think that on a church level, thank the Lord Jesus, we are not like the church that he dislikes the most. That has nothing good to say about it. I would be really disappointed if this was our church and I was trying to get us out of this situation. It's really not. And I love you guys for it. You guys are great. But I had to come up with some practical ways where this wouldn't be a really good lesson, okay? So I'm going to take it on an individual level. I'm going to take the things that he's doing there and bring it to you individually. So I've titled this Practical Ways to Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself. Uh, (laughs) There it is. I had to get it in. I wasn't going to sing Boys and Men, but I'll do that, okay? So the first one is, who are you banking with? Let me say this real quick. Money in lots of areas can be an issue, especially in a marriage. The number one thing that will kill a marriage quicker than anything else is is money. We have at this church one of the greatest programs to help you with that there ever was, okay? Dave Ramsey. We have people in our church who would swear by this. It has changed their lives. If you have a problem with the money side of this, reach out to us. Uh, We used to have it as a small group. Obviously, right now, we're having some issues with that with COVID. We can help you. But that is not where I'm going with this. I want you to have help with that because it can take you from not having enough to having more than you ever thought you could have. It can take you from not being able to pay your bills to having extra to help other people with what Jesus wants you to do with that money, okay? Reach out to us for that. We can help you with that. But I'm more talking about where are you making your deposits? Who are you making your deposits with? Are you only making worldly deposits? Are you making some deposits for Jesus? Who do you rely on every day when you wake up? Who are you thinking about every day when you wake up? Are you spending time in the day with Jesus, reading his Bible, praying, talking to him? Those are making deposits for him so that you can turn into those banners that I talked about. So you can be the best version of yourself, committed, right? Generous, gracious, humble, honest, hungry for more. Who are you banking with? And then secondly, where are you shopping? What clothes are you wearing? Are you asking for forgiveness every day? Listen to me. This is a big deal. We're, we are naturally sinners. We were born that way. It's cause of the fall. That's who we are. But God is faithful and just to forgive us of that. So are you seeking his righteousness every day? Or are you like many of us, including myself, sometimes you forget about it. Sometimes you don't think about having to ask for forgiveness for things from Jesus to redeem yourself to put on those white clothes of righteousness. And I'm going to take it a step further because this is one of the biggest deals to me because I've seen people go through this and I've seen it destroy them. It is so easy to start sinning, not ask for forgiveness, not think about it, put it in the back of your mind, and then it changes into something that you're living in. And you can live in it so much 
that you forgot what it was like to be out of it. It can start being natural for you. That can make you lukewarm. It can destroy your relationship with Jesus in a way that really destroys you from the inside out. It can turn you into a lukewarm Christian because you're living in something that you do not know how to get out of. First off, if that is you, you have to reach out for help. You cannot break that chain by yourself. Jesus can help you. He can help you through letting us, you have to let us help you with that. That is where you are shopping. What clothes are you putting on? Are you asking for forgiveness and looking at what you're doing to try to change it? Asking God to show you that, which brings me to my next point, my third and last one, which is, what's your eye prescription? I know these are kind of funny, you know, but I liked them when I wrote them down. I still like them. Um, they're, yeah, thanks, John. I knew he was going to say something eventually over there. And uh, what I mean by what's your eye prescription is, how do you see things on a day-to-day basis? How are you looking at things? When you see somebody, how do you look at them? Have you rolled into an attitude of negativity all the time? When you see somebody, do you see somebody for what the world values them at or what Jesus values them at? As to what Jesus would want you to do for or with that person. What eye prescription do you have? How are you looking at the world? And if you're not doing number one correctly and you're not doing number two correctly, you cannot do number three correctly. Right? If you're not making deposits to him to try to change your heart into that person that Jesus wants you to be, if you're not putting on clothes of righteousness, if you're not asking for forgiveness, if you're not getting out of the sin that's in your life, recognizing it, trying to break that chain, you cannot see people for how he wants you to see them. And as a church, especially our church, this is a big deal because we are centered in community. We want the community to know that we are here to help them and to be Jesus in their lives. And if we aren't looking at them correctly, we cannot do that. How are you looking at people? What's your eye prescription? And to close, I'm going to say this. I I wanted to give you something to do. And my wife says that I don't do anything unless it's written down. Okay? I have to make a list. Or she makes a list, and I do that list. That's about the only way. I like to see things crossed off. I like to make a list and do them. And if I don't, I'll forget about it. It'll put it in the back of my mind. So I'm going to ask you to do something. And I know how this works because I've been in church a long time. You're not going to do it. I'm going to ask you to do something, and the majority of you will not do it because that's how we are. Most of the time, because we don't put an end on it. We don't like to do things that have no ending. It's too big. So I'm going to put a real short ending on it. One week. I want you to do this for one week, please. Please do this. It will change your life. And then I want you to come see me on Sunday and tell me if you did it and how it changed your life. This is what I want you to do. Every day at the end of the day or throughout the day, I want you to write down on a piece of paper. I'm not going to say journal because guys won't like that. All right? Because we don't like the fact that we keep a journal for some reason. I don't know. I just want you to write it down on anything, piece of paper, something. You can etch it in stone. I don't really care. But I want you to write down what happened to you during that day, conversations you had, an attitude that you had, something at work that happened, just your day-to-day routine. Write it down, anything abnormal that happened. 
And at the end of that day, I want you to take that piece of paper and pray about it and ask Jesus to show you how he would have reacted in those situations. Okay, I'm trying to change your thought process. And I guarantee you, if you do this, if you really stick to it and really put the thought into it and pray about it, that by the third day or so, you will start thinking about that while you're doing it. I'm trying to change your mindset so that when you're in the moment, you're actually saying things and thinking about what Jesus would want you to do in that situation rather than to just run your mouth and saying stuff like I do all the time and not thinking about it first. This is for me too. Trying to change that mindset to be that person on those banners, to put on the clothes, to change that eye prescription. If you start thinking about how Jesus would want to be in these situations, you will change how you react. That's all I'm trying to do is change the way that you think, and then it will in turn change everything else. It will change everything else that you do. I guarantee you it'll make a difference, and I want to know about it. I want to know that you did it, and if nobody comes and says they did it, I'll be really disappointed, so I'm just going to put a guilt trip on you right now. Don't disappoint me, all right? Change the way you think. Let me close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity uh, really to stand in front of a church family that I love so much and that I cannot wait to see and that I know that you love and you gave me these words to show to them, to change their lives, to keep holding you outside, to open that door and let you in to rely on you from a day-to-day basis and quit relying on the things that we have in our pockets, which will fade, and really rely on you to get us through the day-to-day journey so that when we find somebody else, when we see someone else, that we can be them, we can be you to them, to hold out our hand to them in love. If anybody's out here who, anybody who's listening, who doesn't know what I'm talking about, who doesn't know what it's like to be hot and cold and refreshing for Jesus, whether you're lukewarm or that's because you never had Jesus, I want to reach out to you right now. Jesus can do things that nobody else can do. If you're living in sin, he can change your life. He can break that cycle. All you have to do is have a relationship with him. Acknowledge that he came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, and the most important part was risen again. Ask him to come into your heart and have a relationship with you, and he can cleanse everything. He can take care of everything. We love you so much. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.